Friday, when I picked the boys up for school, uh, most every day I pick James up first and then John Owen, but on Fridays it, I reverse the order and I pick John Owen up first. And I don't know how this happened, but somehow I, on Spotify we looked up a country song. It, the country song came up and we played it. And uh, I said to John Owen, I said, let's play a game. Let's, let's turn a Spotify channel on Nandi's country music. And let's listen to 90s country music until I don't know the lyrics. We're still listening to 90s country music. I'll, I'll report back next week and let you know that I'll still be going. Um, my boys were dying laughing at some of the lyrics of the songs. Because I'm singing the lyrics and sometimes you're like, you're like thinking back, like I can't, I can't believe what, that's, what, that's what that, that song says. I didn't, I didn't realize that's what they were saying, and that's kind of cheesy. Um, this morning, I want to open up my sermon with some uh, 2001 country music lyric by Brad Paisley. I'm not mud on the tires, buddy. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to try my best not to sing it. I don't want to embarrass my family. <laughs> well, I love her. But I love to fish. I'll spend all day out on this lake, and heck is all I'll catch. But today she met me at the door, said I would have to choose. If I hit that fishing hole today, she'd be packing all her things, and she'd be gone by noon. Well, I'm going to miss her <laughs> when I get home. But right now, I'm on this lake shore, and I'm sitting in the sun. It's a funny lyric. It's a, Brad Paisley sings this song, and basically, here's, here's the, the gist of it. I'm going to go fishing. She doesn't want me to go fishing. She can pack up her bags and leave. I'm going fishing. And, man, it's, it's funny, but you wouldn't believe the number of country songs that actually talk about that. There's another one. Uh, there's another song that we listen to um, about a rodeo, and the guy had been rodeoing, and she called, he says, honey, I, I've lost. I'm coming home. And... Um, she says, it's, it's too late. Once you get here, I'm not going to be home. And he goes, well, if I hurry, I can still make it to Cheyenne. Y'all know the song of the rodeo. And Cheyenne's like, oh, well, honey, I'm going to follow this thing. Man, today we're going to be in a passage of Scripture where Jesus approaches uh, the disciples. He calls out the disciples and tells them, it's time to abandon your fishing and follow me. And they had a decision to make. Do we drop our nets and follow Jesus, or do we stay doing what we've been doing? And then here's the truth. In our lives, so often we choose the wrong thing, and we miss out on what Jesus can do in us and through us. And so here's the, best, here, here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with today. At the end of the day, after we break down this text, is the best thing that you can do with your life is follow Jesus. It's the best thing that you can do. There is nothing better. There's nothing that the world has to offer that's better than following Jesus. I'll just tell you, I hope that when Brad Paisley went fishing that day, he didn't get a single bite. Because choosing fishing over your wife is, is wrong. All right. Chapter 5, continuing the book of Luke. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 1. I, I want you to remember as we as we start in Luke, that Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, right? Right? 
Luke and Acts. And we started off today's, uh, today's worship service. Jed read a passage from Acts chapter 2. I want you to keep that in mind and visualize that as we're reading. Starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. I'm sure I said that wrong. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that, that had taken, and also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. Now, I find that the very uh, first uh, three verses of this, um, we can draw very uh, particular and pointed uh, uh, conclusions for our specific congregation uh, today. And I didn't see this when I first read it, but man, this really kind of popped out at me. And so, starting in verse 5, just looking at uh, verse 1, rather, the, the first part of the verse. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Here's my first big idea, is that we should press in to hear the word of God. Man, you, you see Jesus teaching, and man, notice that this wasn't teaching like he had been teaching. Where had he been teaching, right? In the, in the synagogue, this is, this is a, a public phase of ministry. He's, he's been healing people. Um, he's healed everybody in Capernaum. He's still in the area of Galilee. Word has spread, and they know that this guy, I mean, they're hopeful that this is the Messiah. They want to hear what he has to say. And so we see this in more than one instance in the New Testament that they press in, that people are so anxious to, to hear that they try to get close, that they try to get to the front, that people are pressing in, that people are coming all over, and they all want to hear what Jesus has to say. Man, so often my heart doesn't want to press in to hear the Word of God. I don't want to press in to hear what Jesus has to say. My heart can so get hardened and cynical, and the world can wear on it. And sometimes I can limp in to a worship service exhausted and hardened and cold. This week, I went to a, a, a conference. Jennifer and I went to a conference in San Diego. It's part of our church planning network. And I walk in the room, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big room, and there's a big stage, and I know who's leading worship, and I don't particularly love their style of worship. Like, it's, it's good, but 
in my old age, it's just a little too much for me, right? And in my old age, I'm like, man, the speakers are too loud, and like, I don't want the fog machines, and like, they don't put enough words on the screen, and man, if I don't know the word, words of the song, like, I'm just like, can I, I just sit here and pray instead, and um, man, I knew who some of the speakers were, and I'm like, that's a good speaker, but he's got a good spit zone, you know, and so... I chose kind of far back left. You know, I wasn't going to be a back row Baptist, more like a Mike Wallen Baptist back there. <laughs> Mike Wallen's like three rows up, just barely in. Pretty good spot, Mike. I like your thinking. And uh, that's just kind of what I thought. And, and there's these guys sitting on the front row. And, man, here's these, like, 40- and 50-year-old men. And they look like, I mean, they look like teenage girls at a Justin Bieber concert. And I'm going, like, what's wrong with those dudes? They're amening and yen and wowing. And I hate wow when somebody goes, wow. It's like, come on, shut up, dude. Like, what are you wowing? He, he was like, and I had a rock in my shoe. Wow. And my old cynical heart gets that way. My heart gets hard, and I'm like, I don't want to do it. And, man, then the word of God comes out, and next thing you know, I'm weeping. And I'm crying, the Lord has convicted me of my cynicism. He's, he's convicted me of my calloused heart. And I want to press in to hear the word of God. I don't want to miss it. I mean, that's the posture we ought to have as Christians. I get every, every speaker that you're ever going to hear is never going to be Jesus, right? They're going to have their faults. And I'm obviously not Jesus. But the word in which they are preaching is God's word. And it just takes discipline to press in to hear it. Press in to hear it. It takes discipline when you walk into a worship service to take your mind off the things of the world and put your mind on Jesus. But there is nothing better that you will do. Put your phone on airplane mode. Put it in your pocket. Don't let a text message. Don't let an email. Don't, don't go fact check. Don't go Google. I, oh, I've never heard of that. And go Google. Put it up. Press in on the words of Jesus. Bring your Bible. Whatever it takes to keep your eyes in God's word. Press in. Let's think about the New Testament Christians hearing Jesus, hearing this new revelation, and think about their hearts as he press in. Let's be that. Let's be those kinds of believers. Could say a lot more. I'm going to continue on. So he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Remember, he had just healed Simon's mother-in-law. Right? He had just done a work, healed Simon's mother-in-law. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And here's this next big idea, and I think this one is particularly interesting for us. We should do whatever it takes so that people can hear the word of God. This is pretty creative on Jesus' part. In order for the people to hear and for everybody to hear, he jumps out, he, he jumps in the boat, he pulls out a little from the shore. That way they can't all crowd around. And plus, there's an acoustical uh, effect that it would have being on the water and so that more people could hear. He was creative in how he did it, right? He thought, okay, let's, we're going to make a way for people to hear. You ever heard of the, there's this church, church growth rule. It's called the 80% rule. Anybody know what that rule is, 80%? I had a couple people raise their hand. Uh, Dave's not in here. Dave, Dave, Dave preaches the 80% rule to me all the time. And here's what the 80% rule says. It says that when your worship center, when your seating is at 80% capacity, it is full. When your seating is at 80% capacity, it's full. What that means is people, like, 
won't handle a room that's full because they don't want to sit beside each other. They don't want to squish in. Squish in. You're going to have empty seats and empty rows. A lot of people don't want to sit towards the front. Um, I, I laugh in our second service, the college students, for whatever reason, they like sitting on the front. They're right there on the front, front row, second row, third row, just slam-packed with college students. But, and then it makes it look really kind of out of balance. But they don't want to do it. Well, we're not particularly full today, but, man, we've, we've, we're at a season in the life of our church where our first service is often over 80% full. Our second service is, is not 80% full. Often it's 50% full, but sometimes it can be 80% full. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, I kind of joke and say that our second service is bipolar because it's one Sunday it's like, oh, there's nobody here, and the next Sunday it's everybody's here. And so, like, as we're starting to weigh through things, we're going, do we, do we have to go to three services? On Sundays when everybody's here, it feels like we're going to have to go to three services. On other, other Sundays, it's like, okay, what do we do? And so, as a staff, we've said, man, we're going to have, one, we're going to have to ask our people to scoot forward, to scoot in, and to use every, every seat. There's 192 seats in this room. It normally has 140, right? It, it fills right with 140. We've got the aisle... You know, not exactly fire code. It's a, you know, don't tell anybody that. But it's not fire code, whatever. We're, we're, we're not past fire code in this room. It's like a huge number because every square foot in here counts, including the stage. But um, we need you to scoot in. We need you to scoot up. And then we need some of you to swap services. That's what we're going to need. And uh, we're going to, the way we're going to do that, we're going to offer classes in the First and second hour, kids' ministry is going to be in the first hour right now. You're going to have a chance for your, your uh, kindergartner through fifth grader to be able to go to church. There's going to be an adult class, and this is all going to start on 326. That's the same day that we're commissioning out the Sampsons and the Durango team to go to Durango. And we know that we're losing people, a good many people from this service just in that alone, right? So we're going to make room, in, make room in that way. And then some families in here who have kids that are fifth grade or under will be able to come to the first service and do adult Sunday school and second go to the back. Here's all I'm asking, and here's my point, is that as a church, all along the way, not just in the immediate future, that we figure out what to do, to do whatever it takes so that people can hear the word of God. Now, ultimately, what does that mean? Ultimately, I'm asking that we would be a church that does whatever we can do to plant more churches. That's ultimately what I'm asking. We can talk about, like, in the moment, what we need to do with our services and to make room and to welcome visitors and, and to welcome visitors into our home and to help assimilate them in and to build relationships. But ultimately, I'm saying let's do whatever we can do to train up more people, to reach more people, to send more people so that more people can hear the word of God. Amen? Was that you, Garrett? That was Buddy? You only have a few more weeks to annoy me, and then you're going away, Buddy. And then I'm going to come visit you. I'm going to sit on the front row, and I'm going to get you. And if you ever let me preach to your congregation, I'm going to tell all sorts of good stories. Wow. Verse 4. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Here's the next big idea, is that we should follow the master's commands even when they don't make sense to us. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you something that might, you might find surprising. If you know, know me, we're, we're, we're an outdoor family. I love to, to hike. I love to hunt. We ride, we ride dirt bikes. We ride motorcycles. But here, here's a little secret. I don't like to fish. I don't like to fish. Did you know that about me? I like to catch fish. And there is a difference. I love catching fish. I really love baptizing fish in Crisco and <laughs> blessing them and eating them. Like I, lo- I love that part of it, right? But I don't like fishing. Um, back in those days of when Brad Paisley would have written that song, I spent a lot of time catching fish. And my brother and I would spend a lot of time when we would go, go fishing. And uh, just to be honest, we, li- we lived in a place that had excellent fishing. So it didn't take, it didn't take a rocket scientist or something, like a really good angler to go and catch fish. We, just, we lived in a place where you could catch fish. And we didn't use those fly rod things, you know. Uh, I'm just kidding. We actually did use them and, and on certain, certain aspects, and it worked. But we caught fish. And there were some days, though, when, especially like this time of year, when, when it's a little slower, uh, the bite's a little slower, and I'd go fishing with my brother, and I would just always drive the boat. I would steer the boat, and I would put him in the best spots, and he would just cast and cast and cast. And he would always say to me, like, man, if you're not casting, you're not catching fish. And I'd go, well, bro, you're not catching fish, and you're casting. He goes, yeah, but when one bites, it's going to be a big one. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'm t- my arm is tired. I've got, I'm getting tendonitis of the elbow. He's like, his goal is like to cast a thousand times. I'm like, this is boring. Like, I, I have more fun just watching you. And uh, then if he would, like, catch a fish, then I'd get out my pole, and I'm like, all right, they're starting to bite. You know, that's, that's kind of how I, how I treated it. I, I, I like catching them. I don't like fishing. Well, um, what Jesus asked Peter doesn't make sense. They haven't caught anything. They fished all night. If you know much about fishing, nighttime is going to be the better bite. Right at dusk, uh, right at daylight, anywhere in between, that's a lot. oftentimes the, the better fishing, the, the fisher schooling or whatever, and, and it's the better fishing. They have been out. They put out this net. We think little net. It's, they, these aren't little nets. These are big nets. And so... Those nets would have, would have made like a 100-foot diameter across it, so the circumference would have been pretty big, and they would have put those nets out, and basically it would take you know, a dozen men, so it would be uh, the, the, you know, you see here in this, this G, uh, Peter, James, John, so it's called Simon, but it's, that, that's who's there, the sons of Zebedee. Um, and it probably would have been a dozen hired hands. It would have taken a lot of hands to draw these, these nets in. They've brought the nets in. They're sitting in the boat. They're washing their nets. They've been up all night. They're washing their nets. They're, they're main, getting ready to maintain them to put them up. Any good outdoorsman, sportsman, fisher, you take care of your equipment so the next time you need it, it's right there. And so when Jesus says to them, I want you to let down your nets again, but do it on the other side of the boat. 
it makes no sense. Peter realizes, like, we have done this all night long. And it does not matter if we've been here or another 20 foot on the other side of the boat over here. The fish aren't there. Listen, Jesus, I know that you know how to heal people and you know how to speak. But, man, I'm a, I've been fishing my whole life. This is what I'm good at. Just trust me. And that had to be running what was, what was running through his brain. But what did he say? Master. Master. If you're commanding me to do this, I will do it. Even though this doesn't make sense, we've, we've put out the boats all night. We've put down the deep. We've let down our catch. We, we've done this. We've been doing this our whole life. Master, at your word, I will let down the nets. And what happens is incredible. I, I, I don't believe in this instance as they let down the nets. It was just that the, the school of fish had been over, over there the whole night and they'd been fishing in the wrong spot. I don't think it was Jesus's, um, just, just his, his knowledge, his omniscience was like, oh, I know where the fish are let down your nets. No, it was God's power. Like here, here's the miracle is that they let down the nets and God having dominion over all things, dominion over the fish, he ran those fish into those nets. God called the fish and they, and they listened. He has dominion over all things. He's omnipotent, right? This is what we would take away from here is that he's all powerful. So often the commands of Christ don't make sense to us. The commands of Christ that we can read in the Bible, they don't make sense to us, just like that didn't make sense to Peter. The Bible often uh, has been referred to the commands of Christ. It's the upside-down kingdom. The things that happen in God's kingdom don't necessarily make sense to the rest of the world. Lately, we've, we've talked about Sabbathing. And it's, it's the very, the, this very thing that, okay, in order to be more productive, we're going to take a day off. That doesn't make sense to the, that doesn't make sense in the world. Like you're telling me if you, you want to be more productive, you take a day off. Yeah, that's a principle we see in the Bible. Do we see the world following that principle? Only Chick-fil-A. Right? Only Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. You're not like you can go get Burger King today, right? How's that working out for them? How does this make sense? Hey, take a, take a day off and you'll be more productive. What about tithing? Tithing is a principle we see in the Bible. That's like you're going to take a tenth of what you have, the tenth of what you earn, and you're going to give it to the Lord. And so, wait a second, you're telling me that I have all these needs and I have all these bills and I can't afford these things and I'm going broke and the very first step I should do is take 10% away and give it to the Lord? Yeah. That's right, because the Lord blesses it. And in his upside-down kingdom, it makes more uh, financial response, it's a more phys physically responsible thing is to give away that 10%. How about this one? Jesus has this command. If, if, someone, if someone slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? Our word, world says, puss them in the nose. Like, yeah, left cross, right to the chin. If you hit him in the right spot, it'll knock him out. It's one punch thing. It's done, right? The world says, no, 
get rid of it. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Man, in our world, it's hard for us to wrap that. We're, we're, we're about, oh no, you mess with me, I'm going to get you back. How about this? Suffering for sanctification's sake. The world says you should never suffer. The world says you should never go through hardships. But God says, no, for suffering's sake, I'm going to do more than you could ever ask, imagine, or think. When that you suffer, you're going to be made more like Christ. How about this one? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a, command, it's a command of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The world goes, no, it's about self-care. It's about self-need. It's about like me taking care of me. I'm going to take care of me. right? That's the, that's the world. Not, I'm going to take care of everybody else. I'm going to take care of my neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said things, radical statements. If you want to gain the world, gain the kingdom of God, here's how you do it, is you forfeit everything you have in this world. Think about his conversation with the rich young ruler. Take everything you have and sell it to the poor. Here's the greatest of all. Jesus says, if you truly want to live, you must die. If you truly want to live, you must die. This is the upside down kingdom. This is what doesn't make sense to the world. And here's the big idea. Again, we should follow the master's commands even when they don't make sense to us. Because over and over and over we are proclaiming, Lord, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And your ways are higher than our ways. And we don't always understand them. But when we're obedient and we, we follow them, it somehow works out. And when they had done this, verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. Here's the next big idea is that God can do far more abundantly than we ask or think. That's scripture. That's the Apostle Paul writing the church in Ephesus. God can do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Peter was not thinking we would catch a single fish, but he was going to be obedient anyway. And God gave them the biggest catch of their life. In all their days of fishing, they'd never experienced anything like this because God had gone before them. That God was the way maker. God was the miracle worker in this moment. That God did it. And the good news is he'll do it again. He's been doing it over and over and over. That when God's people follow him, he makes a way forward. When it doesn't make sense, when God's people over and over, and I want you to think back to the beginning of time. Think through the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Think about the, the plagues and how the Lord used the plagues. Think about the crossing of the Red Sea. Did it make sense? No, but they acted in faith. And what did the Lord do but make a way Think of them in, in the desert when they had nothing and yet the Lord caused water to come up out of the ground. He caused manna to fall from the sky and he provided egg, quail eggs for them to eat. 
Think about the crossing of the Jordan River. Think about the walls of Jericho. Go through the book of Joshua. Go through the Old Testament. Over and over and over, God does far more abundantly than we ask, imagine, or think. God still does this. You, you may be here today at the end of your rope. And you may not know of a way forward. And you may be sitting here today going, I think the easiest way for me to get out of this is to die. The easiest way for me to do, get out of this is to, to leave. The easiest way for me to get out of this is X, Y, or Z. Your situation may seem so desperate to you that you think there's no way forward. But I want you to know that the testimony of Christians over centuries and centuries is that God will make a way forward. Believe in Him. Trust Him. Have faith that what He will do for you is what is best for you. God can do. You have to ask. He says, the Bible says we, we have not because we ask not. Because in our situation, we don't humble ourselves and pray. Which brings us to the very next thing. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. The first step in following Jesus is realizing your own sinfulness. This is what happens. When, when Peter looks and sees, like Peter in his heart of doubt, and boy, Peter would keep struggling with that. Peter, with his heart of doubt, when he sees that those, those fish come up and he sees them fill their boats, he realizes that it is God who is before him. And he has a healthy fear that this is the Messiah. This is the sent one by God. This is the one that's coming to save his people. And look at me, a sinner, undeserving. And so he lays down in the boat, just falls at Jesus. Jesus is sitting there, just falls at his knees and says, depart from me. The holy God can't be near a wretch like me, a sinful man like me. The first step in following Jesus is realizing your own sinfulness. If you don't, like the Bible calls us to repent and believe. Repent is a command, it's a military command, it literally means to turn away from it means you're heading one direction, and at the call, you repent, you turn, and you head the other way. Often, what keeps us from repenting is our own self-righteousness. Often, it's going, no, the way I'm going is the right way. This is what I want to do. This is what I think is best for me. And so, the first step is realizing, no. We'd have been just like Peter. Actually, we might have not got the nets back out. We might have looked over at Jesus and said, well, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> it's, I, I, smell, I smell something, something cooking up there by the campfire. I'm going to eat. You put your own net out. That, that we don't realize that, oh, this is, this is a right and holy God. 
This is a good God, and I am a sinner. I am undone. I am rebellious. My heart, in my heart, I want to rebel from what God tells me to do. God's given these upside-down commands of the kingdom that don't make sense to me. I don't want to do them. I'm not going to do them. I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to go my own way. And so, this is what it takes. Often it takes the Lord breaking us. It takes our own sin, our own pulling ourselves down in the mud and the mire for us to hit the proverbial rock bottom that causes us to realize our sinfulness. But when we realize it, when we realize, oh man, I can't save myself. When we realize, oh man, I can't do the very things that I think I can do. Oh man, I'm undeserving. Oh, it produces a response in us. A response that cries out, Oh, depart from me. I don't deserve this. One that sings, God, you're merciful. God's mercy is this, is that, that he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. I mean, the Bible teaches us that none are righteous, not even one. It teaches us that the wages of sin is death. That in our rebellion against God, we deserve his wrath. We deserve his punishment. The good news of the gospel is this. Is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God sent his son, born of the virgin Mary, to live this life that was perfect and righteous and holy. To these years of ministry where he healed the sick. He, he caused the blind to see. He he fought for the oppressed, and he fought this spiritual battle. And in the end, he was crucified on a cross. And on that cross, he paid the price for you and I. That we don't do anything to gain merit or favor to save ourselves. So while we were undeserving, that while we were still sinners... That Christ hung on that cross with a crown of thorns on his head, beaten, mocked, and tortured, was crucified. He took his last breath and he died for you and I. That the death that we deserve, he took for us. He took in our place. That's the good news of the gospel. And that on the third day, in the tomb, Jesus dead, God raises his son from the dead, proving that he is God. Over and over and over in the book of Luke so far, we have seen this message that Jesus is the son of God. And it will continue until we see at the resurrection the final proof that this is God. And here's the first step. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. The second step, calling out Jesus as Savior. Today, if you don't know Christ, and you, you, you want a relationship, and you want God to save you, this is what you do. You cry out and you say, God, I am a sinner, and I'm a need and a Savior, and Lord, I'm asking you to save me. Lord, move in me and work in me, and he will. He will. He will save you today. And then you follow in steps of obedience, that is, in baptism. You tell somebody, you tell somebody in the church, you go, hey, I have placed my faith and trust in Christ today, and I want to be obedient. I want to follow Jesus with my life. What does that mean, Zach? 
What does that mean to follow Jesus with your life? Well, I'll tell you. Second part of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Big idea. Following Jesus means abandoning your will for your life, for his will for your life. That means you're saying, God, here's, your, here's my will, and I'm turning it over to you. I'm repenting from that, and I'm calling you master and you Lord. I'm saying, whatever you'll do with me, I will go. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Whatever you call me to do, I will do. Man, so often we, we, we process the call of God. We think, oh, but, but if I give my life to him, it will cost me X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it will. Who knows what it will cost you? Maybe the Lord and his purposes for you doesn't move you. He leaves you in the same place and makes you a missionary right where you live. Maybe it's for your neighbors. Maybe it's for your family. But maybe he will take you and he will move you across the world. Who knows? Who knows what the Lord will do? In my years of, of ministry in an established church, it's a 200-year-old church. In that 200-year-old church, it was very multi-generational. So from babies all the way up to older people, it was, was multi-generational. So, so that meant that our staff spent quite a bit of time visiting people in the hospital. And that often, being a larger church, that somebody in our church was in the process of dying. Just part of being in a big, big church that's multi-generational. And nearly every week, somebody on our staff would sit down, and so often it would be my turn, and I would go to the hospital, and I would sit down with somebody on their deathbed. Sometimes it would be Christians who'd been Christians for 50, 60 years, people who had lived faithful lives. I'm a student pastor, right? I'm talking to teenagers all the time. And so it was special for me to sit down with somebody in their 80s, in their 90s, who've got a lifetime of following Christ. And I would often have them recount to me their testimony of when they came to Christ. And I would have them recount their life. And I would just sit and minister to them and read the word with them. And do you know what I never once heard someone say? Never once did I hear somebody say, oh, I regret it. I regret it. I regret abandoning everything I have and following Jesus. It was the biggest mistake of my life. Never once was that said. You know what they say? Oh, the day the Lord saved me. Oh, when he called me. When I was in the muck and the mire and I was clinging to the things of the world. I think of C.S. Lewis's quote about a little child Sitting there making mud pies, not even imagining what it would like to have a holiday at sea. That we so often, we're, you're, you're feeling this today. Maybe, maybe the Lord is talking to you, he's speaking to you, and he's drawing himself. And you're going, no, but I need this, this, and this. These are the things that you're clinging to. These are the sins. These are the things that I know that the Bible says is wrong, and I don't want to let go of them. What I'm telling you is that following Jesus and abandoning your will for his will is the best decision you will ever make. And church, that is when you would be appropriate to say, Amen.
or even wow. Let's try that again. (laughs) Following Jesus is the best decision you will ever make with your life. All right, that's better. I just want to invite you. If you're in this room today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I want to invite you to do so. But I've got a different invitation. I feel like there's probably more people in this room who've lost your way. That at one point in your life you were serving Christ and you felt like you were living for, with reckless abandon. But now in the mundane of following Christ... The world's crept back in and you've crept back and you've, la- you've latched back on things of the world. At one point you could look back and you could say, oh, I'm on fire. But today you go, no, my wood's wet. <laughs> I'm a campfire just smoldering and I'm not burning. John chapter 21. After the resurrection... The crucifixion, rather. The, the disciples, remember, they, they hid. They didn't know what to do. And Jesus has appeared, but Jesus didn't stay with them, right? He's appeared. Jesus ran. John ran. I mean, Peter, Peter ran. John ran. They knew he was alive, but, but Jesus wasn't with them. And they were very much in this moment of what do we do now? Simon Peter said to the other disciples, he said... I'm going fishing. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. They had abandoned the call to be fishers of men. And they went back to be fishers of fish. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was him. It was too dark. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it out and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. John looks at Peter and says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. That's my invitation for you this morning. If you've fallen off, if you've let the world creep back in, strip yourself down this morning in worship. I'm asking the band to come back up and let's play. Let's sing this song of response. And strip yourself down this morning and... Jump into the sea. Jump back to the, to the Lord to say, No, Lord. You're worth me abandoning the things of the world to follow you. Abandon the things of this world. Don't live for this world. Live for the next one. Don't live for this life. Live for the next life. Don't live for this small moment. But live for eternity. I promise you, trading your will for God's will is the best decision you will ever make. Let's stand and let's respond.
in song. I want you to pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I want you to pray. I want you to cry out to God in these next moments. Whether if you don't know Christ today, I, I would tell you, place your faith and trust in Christ. And if you do know Christ, run back to Him. So Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, asking you to do far more than we could ever ask, imagine, or think. Lord, would you seek and save the lost this morning that those who do not know you would place their faith and trust in you and that you would change their life, that they would come forward and and be baptized to make a profession of their faith, to tell the whole world, no, I'm following the Master. I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll no longer live for me, but for Him. Lord, do a work in our hearts this morning. Renew us. Cast us not from your presence, Lord, but renew your spirit in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cry out to him this morning.